Welcome to The Extra, the show that connects you to the issues, topics, and people that are important to you. And one issue that we're all caring about, especially I think every time at the new year, is our health. And February is American Heart Health Month. And joining us to talk more about it from National Jewish Health, we're so pleased to have with us on the KRDO Newsline, an expert in this field, Dr. Andrew Friedman. Dr. Friedman, welcome to the show. Well, thanks so much for having me. So let's talk about disease prevention. When it comes to heart health, I mean, there are so many things we can do, and a lot of it starts with behavioral changes. Yeah. In fact, I would go so far as to say, and it's been quoted in the the media and the literature, that maybe three-quarters of the disease we all face uh, chronically can be avoided through lifestyle modification. So when we're talking about that lifestyle modification, I mean, there are reasons people are stuck in ruts, but you think that uh, hearing the, the need for it may inspire some people to change. Well, yeah, I mean, the way I think about it is this, you know, we are all facing what I call the American curse, which is, you know, you work hard your whole life, you save your money, you retire, and then what do you look forward to? Heart attacks, strokes, dementia. It's a terrible way to retire, and much of it is avoidable. And when you're talking about avoidable, avoidable by making these lifestyle changes early enough so they actually have some impact, what kind of changes are we talking about? Yeah, so first, it's never too late to do this. So whether you're 20 years old or 80 years old, uh, there's always benefit. But I always recommend that people focus on uh, trying to make these changes as early as they possibly can. And there are five important ones that I recommend people do every year. I'm sorry, every day. Uh, And those are first, exercising to a goal of 30 minutes of breathlessness a day. And of course, one should check with their doctor beforehand to make sure it's safe to do so. And the goal with breathlessness is to say, go with your significant other or friend at a level that they can talk to you, but you'd have trouble talking back, which is not only good for the relationship, but of course, good for the body. (laughs) Second is diet. And diet is a huge one. And especially, you know, now that we're past the holiday season where many people overindulge, you know, what can people do? And it turns out that if you look at all of the literature, all of the research published across the planet, there is one diet that appears to not only reduce the risk for heart disease and inflammation, and, but also cancer, the number two killer after heart disease. And that is a largely uh, low-fat, whole-food, plant-based diet. Now, when I say plant-based diet, that means that it is mostly plants. Right? So some people say, well, if I eat a bacon cheeseburger and I put it high with vegetables, this will make me healthy. And of course, that's not the case. So we can't cancel out a lot of the bad stuff. And it turns out that a lot of the bad stuff that we consume regularly doesn't come with warning labels. So people might be surprised to learn that that bacon is now considered by the World Health Organization to be as cancer-causing as cigarettes, believe it or not. Uh, So whatever we do every day, uh, the diet and exercise together are very powerful. But there are actually three additional things that I recommend. The first is stress. So life is stressful, and usually after the new year when work gets back into full swing and people's lives get back into full swing and school's back in session, life becomes very stressful. So spend 30 minutes a day, meditate, watch the sunrise, do some yoga, try to cast off that accumulated stress. You know, a lot of the words we use in medicine indicate that stress really matters. So, for instance, the, high, the word for high blood pressure is hypertension, right, too much tension. And it turns out that if we meditate and, and get rid of stress, our blood pressure actually will come down. Uh, And then the last one 
uh, which a lot of people will get a kick out of, is it turns out the people who have the most love and support and connectedness in their life actually have the best heart outcomes. And it's funny because as a cardiologist, I always tell people I'm good with matters of the heart, but there's really something to that. And if we can get all of those things together, which are eating plants, exercising more, stressing less, loving more, and sleeping enough, which is the last one, uh, and we're aiming for seven hours a night of uninterrupted sleep, those all together uh, can do enormous uh, uh, things to reduce the burden of disease and even sometimes halt disease progression. And when you're talking about that, that uh, could stave off more serious complications. You're talking about maybe heart attacks, maybe the need for bypass surgery and things like that, right? Well, yeah, I mean, it depends, right? Obviously, if somebody has damage done, it's sometimes hard to undo all of that. But what it can do is significantly lessen the burden of the disease, many times the medications. And if it's caught early enough, it may alter the entire trajectory of somebody's life. You know, when I see a 20 or 30-year-old, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about lifestyle because if I can pivot their trajectory in health, they can avoid that American curse I just talked about. And I know you mentioned uh, meditation for uh, some people who've reached a certain age. I think meditation sounds so woo-woo. They, they're, they're not no, you know, really certain what to make of it. Yeah, and, and the truth is, you know, you don't have to sit on these funny pillows and burn incense and ring bells and all those things that people see on TV to, to be meditative. You know, if you go for a long walk, as an example, many people can go for a walk and they walk for an hour and they end up right back where they started, but they don't know how they got there because they were in the zone. That's the zone we're after. Some people can get there by uh, going for a hike in the woods. In, in fact, in Japan, they call it forest bathing. Uh, in some places, uh, people simply just uh, 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 will sit quietly and observe the sunrise or the sunset. So whatever works for a patient is, is, is important, and I don't think it has to be a, a particular meditative practice. Well, we want to talk more with you, Dr. Freeman. Uh, We need to take a short break here. When we come back, more from the extra, Dr. Andrew Freeman, and our focus on improving heart health in February, Heart Health Month. We're back with the extra. February has been declared American Heart Month, and that's what our focus is today. And we've been talking with Dr. Andrew Freeman of National Jewish Health, based out of Denver, about some of the lifestyle changes that are very important to make if you want to make sure that you stave off more serious complications of unhealthy hearts later in life. So you mentioned changing diets, and you mentioned something, a plant-based diet. Uh, does that mean going, uh, foregoing something like keto, which I think is very meat-intensive? Yeah. You know, what I would tell you is that the vast majority of the professional societies on the planet now fully endorse a plant-based diet, and there's a number of ways to do that. But it turns out that a, a keto or a carnivore or a very, very low-carbohydrate diet, those are not routinely recommended. You know, let me give it to you this way. The American implementation of keto in many cases is people eat bacon-wrapped scallops uh, multiple times a day, or they have, you know, large pieces of beef with no vegetables at all. And it turns out that those are very high in cholesterol, saturated fat, and as I mentioned before, uh, many of the very highly processed red meats are in the same category as cigarettes for cancer causing. So uh, one of my colleagues goes so far as to say that, you know, that's fine, people might lose weight, but they might die sooner, and that's certainly not the goal. So what I always tell people is if you can eat a very simple based, uh, plant-based diet, that's the way to go. The, the phrasing I typically use is if you can eat like a peasant, you can live like a king or a queen. 
And peasants are eating things like oatmeal in the morning made with water and fresh fruit on top. And lunch might be a salad, and instead of blue cheese or ranch, uh, use vinegar as your dressing and put beans or rice or even some potatoes in the salad so you're not hungry. And then for dinner, uh, try half a baked potato with some beans and some broccoli. Simple, very, very cost-effective, low-cost meals that are super tasty and and easy to do uh, can really help uh, change one's trajectory in life. And and when we're talking trajectory in life, uh, improving heart health this way, will it lead to more years lived? Will it lead to a, a different outcome? Well, uh, if you look at the statistics, uh, as we get older, we're all more likely to die, of course, and we're all more likely to die from heart disease. And so the question is, can we pivot away from that? You know, as you probably know these days, uh, if you do have a heart attack, a lot of times you don't die. There's just lots more disability. And for me, my goal is to get every one of my patients to live the longest life they can, feeling good to their very last day. And so when you change your diet, when you change your exercise, when you change your stress, your sleep, your connectedness, if you can get all of those aligned, that gives you the best shot. Now, this does not make somebody invincible, however, right? So if you live this way, you can still get into a car accident. You can still, you know, if you decide to do high-risk physical activity and fall off a cliff or something terrible, these things can all happen. But this is the best way we can sort of hedge our bets, if you will, in a way that will reduce risk the most. Dr. Freeman, when the weather's cold, it seems like a lot of people do, including myself, scale back their exercise regime, uh, if they have a regime out there. Uh, is is I mean, I know we have to watch out for icy streets and things like that. There are hazards. But uh, is there a reason we should not scale back in wintertime? Yeah. So what I always tell people is these days, you know, these extreme weather events that we seem to have now almost every week are just going to become more common. And your body doesn't care if it's icy, it's cold, it's too warm, it's too sandy, it's too snowy, whatever it is, there's always a way to exercise, but it may not be outside. You know, so if you're worried about slipping and falling in the ice or it's negative 15 like it was last week, what are you going to do? And uh, the answer is figure out a way to exercise inside. Most of us live relatively close to a rec center, a gym, a Y, um, or you can get some equipment in your house. You can stream a video. You can do high-intensity interval training. You can do calisthenics all at home if you want. So there's always a way. It's just making time for that. And the most important thing I can tell people is weaving exercise into your day is the most important thing you can do. So 23 and a half hours every day, you can do anything you want, but 30 minutes should be some form of exercise. And for me, and probably for many people, if they can do it first thing in the morning before their day starts, it's done, and you don't have to worry about it. And that's what I really recommend. Mm. And, and if you can do it with someone else who maybe holds you accountable, right? Well, sure. Accountability partners are fantastic. But remember that if you're making this social Uh, it may not be as advantageous. So, for instance, lots of my patients like to do water aerobics, especially in their later years. Now, water aerobics can be fantastic for you, but if you're doing it in a social situation where you're mostly chit-chatting with the person next to you and not really working hard, that's not going to get you the benefit you're looking for. So it's really important to get breathless at least for 30 minutes. And if you have a partner to do it with that really does hold you accountable, fantastic. Mm. Well, I've got a very... uh uh, energetic dog who likes big runs. So that that's the person who's keeping, that's the entity that is keeping me accountable because the dog doesn't like r- walking. The dog wants to run. So No, it, and, and that's great. And a caution about dogs. So when, some of my patients were like, well, I walk the dog every day. Well, mm-hmm. 
the truth is most dogs like to stop and pee and poop and meet other dogs, and it, it's, it's a very interrupted form of exercise. So I always tell people to walk the dog and then go for a real good exercise, you know, solid period of time if you can. Now, if you have a dog that likes to run for 30 minutes, that's fantastic, but most people don't do that. All right. So we can't uh, necessarily take that as our exercise of the day. It needs to maybe escalate a little bit more. Right. You really have to feel like you've put in some real effort, and that will only pay you back. And the nice thing is, as you do this, you'll find that these things get easier and easier. And the goal is to continually challenge yourself to do a little more, a little more intense, whatever it may be. What are some myths about healthy living that you wish would just go away because they fly in the face of the science? Well, I think in particular these days, there's all sorts of new pills on the market that have a lot of great benefits, but that help people lose weight. So a lot of people are like, well, I'm not going to change my diet. I'm just going to take this pill. And I want people to realize that not only are these pills expensive, um, but they, they, the moment you stop taking them, the weight comes back. So it, they should be used as a sort of running start, if you will, rather than I'm going to be on this for the rest of my life. So that's one. Two, there's no magic supplement or vitamin that's going to make you lose weight. There's no gimmick that's going to make you lose weight. It just comes through healthy lifestyle habits, and that's really, really important. Um, some of my patients think that they can get away with uh, you know, eating uh, highly processed foods because it came from a health food store. Remember that health food stores, most of them sell lots of good stuff, and most of them sell lots of bad stuff. So if you buy a chocolate chip cookie from a health food store, it might have slightly better ingredients, but it's still a chocolate chip cookie. So figuring out how to eat fruits, vegetables, whole grains, minimally processed foods with very rare indulgences, that's a great way to go. And then the last part, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I I shouldn't have interrupted. Go ahead. Oh, no worries. And then the last part is a lot of people um, think that uh, when it comes to sleep, that they can cut back on sleep so that they can be more effective. But it turns out that if you don't give your body enough rest, uh, seven hours at the minimum of uninterrupted sleep, um, you won't be as effective in life both physically and mentally. So getting that good quality sleep is important. And if it's not um, uh, being uh, in a solid block, meaning it's interrupted, then talk with your doctors about some strategies to try to fix that. All right. Well, some great information there, Dr. Andrew Freeman. Thank you for sharing your knowledge on what we can do to keep our heart smart and healthy and working for us uh, long past its perhaps overdue date. Thank you so much for joining us here on The Extra. You bet. Welcome back to our second half hour of the Extra. And this entire hour, we're dedicating the conversation to American Heart Month, the month of February. It's dedicated to a time to pay special attention to your heart health, make lifestyle changes, consider where you stand, maybe get checked up for your heart health, all those things to make sure that we are staving off uh, some of the worst aspects of bad heart health, poor heart health, which might be heart attack or cardiovascular disease. And joining us on the KRDO Newsline, Dr. Chris Fine of National Jewish Health out of the Denver area. First of all, let me welcome you to the show, Dr. Fine. Thanks for having me, Shannon. So let's talk about your specialty because you are one of just a handful of cardio-oncologists across the country. And I think people might be surprised to know there is such a very specific specialty. So tell us why cardio-oncology is a growing field. Absolutely. So especially over the last few decades, there's been a 
vast growing appreciation for the fact that unfortunately cancer and cardiovascular disease kind of go hand in hand and there's more than one reason why they're number one and number two, not just in the nation, but still globally as one of the most um, uh, as one of the most prevalent disease processes that that we can go through. And to to get an appreciation for the field, you kind of have to go all the way back to when we first started appreciating that there could be adverse heart-related effects of cancer treatment. And that can go back all the way to the late 1950s, early 1960s, when we started using a specific type of chemotherapy called anthracycline to treat lymphoma in children with lymphoma. But at the time, diagnosis was fairly unsophisticated. We were diagnosing disease processes late in their disease course, our ability to find things early, treat things early, those were also not very sophisticated. So it took multiple decades of medical advancement before we really were able to establish and ultimately grow the field of cardio-oncology, which kind of boils down to this. So ideally, you would, you would have a cancer patient and identify their overall risk of heart-related adverse effects before, during, and after their cancer treatment. Anyone who's felt to be high or very high risk, depending on the type of treatment they're getting and the type of cancer they have, we can, at this point, do certain type of testing in addition to the routine, um, talking to the patient and a physical exam to identify what's referred to as subclinical cardiovascular dysfunction, meaning we identify problems before the patient even experiences any symptoms or um, we notice the development of organic cardiovascular disease, we can intervene on those subclinical cardiotoxicities is kind of the, the buzzword. With the ultimate goal is to minimize the likelihood that any cancer treatment would need to be temporarily stopped or held or cancer treatment were to be changed because of cardiotoxicity. Because we know if either one of those two situations happen, there's essentially universally worse patient outcomes. So if we can do anything on our end to minimize the potential of needing to pause treatment, change treatment, stop treatment altogether because of heart-related effects, that's always the goal. So so we know that cancer can kill. I mean, the fatality rates differ for the types of cancers. But then what you're saying is sometimes the medicine that's used to treat those cancers can increase the risk of cardiovascular failure or disease. Is that what I'm understanding for this? It can. So it can not only increase the risk of, and when we refer, when we say the term cardiovascular disease, that's, that's kind of a big umbrella term. So that could, that can include problems with blood sugar, which increases the likelihood of developing cardiovascular disease, elevated blood pressure, elevated blood cholesterol, and then abnormal heart rhythms, heart failure, heart attacks, or anything referred to as peripheral vascular disease. So in the heat of the moment, there are certain types of cancer treatments, and it's growing all the time, that could increase the probability of of heart disease happening during treatment. But we we kind of find ourselves in a paradox these days, too, because cancer treatments are getting so much better, so much more effective. People with cancer are living longer, or ideally they're getting to the point where their cancer has been deemed to be in remission, and we're just surveying down the road to make sure their cancer doesn't come back. And these folks who are in the survivorship phase, 
their risk of having their own heart disease in their lifetime is significantly increased, up to 10 to 20 times higher than if they didn't have cancer and they didn't undergo their cancer treatment to begin with. So we monitor while they're receiving their treatments, but we also don't stop monitoring thereafter, knowing that they're at increased risk. So all of the primary prevention strategies that was discussed with one of my colleagues, Dr. Freeman, all of those are all the more important in cancer patients and cancer patient survivors. Well, and we want to talk more about this, how, how this uh, type of disease prevalence or uh, susceptibility kind of goes hand in hand. We want to talk more about this with Dr. Chris Fine of National Jewish Health out of the Denver area. We need to take a short break here, Dr. Fine. Stick around and to our audience, please stick around as we mark American Heart Month, the month of February, and try to bring you all the important information that can hopefully set you up for better heart health and better health overall. That's coming up as the extra continues. We're back with our final segment and today's guests. Uh, we had earlier Dr. Andrew Freeman, and now we're talking to Dr. Chris Fine, and both of them from National Jewish Health out of the Denver area, talking about American Heart Month, the month of February. It's a month that, uh, you know, because it is the month of love and people associate lots of hearts. I mean, you can find hearts everywhere on the candy shelves, uh, I don't know, in popcorn balls, what have you. I mean, you can find so much when it comes to uh, hearts, but it is a good time to remember, although we should be remembering all year long, about how important our heart health is and and how taking care of that can lead to better outcomes in our uh, lifelong journey. And it's a health journey, but it's also uh, staving off uh, brain deterioration and dementia, as we heard from Dr. Freeman a little earlier. And now, Dr. Fine, let's talk about this. How did this connection between uh, staying heart healthy and perhaps, uh, you know, preventing worse outcomes when it comes to cancer, how did that link get discovered? So that link started getting discovered um, probably in the 80s into early 90s when we started developing more effective cancer screening for patients. And the two major forms of cancer screening that that many patients or the lay people um, may be the most familiar with is breast cancer screening, pap smears, and even colonoscopies. So when we started screening, we were finding cancers earlier. So we were diagnosing things before they became more of an issue or as their stage progressed, ideally to the point where it didn't be so bad that they were, we were dealing with metastatic disease or advanced cancer. When we find things early and we treat early, that universally improves outcomes, which is a great thing. But then we're noticing that we're starting to identify sequelae or down-the-road adverse effects of cancer treatments a lot of which were in the form of cardiovascular disease that we wouldn't have otherwise identified if we, were, if we didn't have effective screening strategies, if we weren't identifying cancer early, if we weren't treating early and people were surviving longer. So up until a few decades ago, you know, cancer survivorship and the field of cardio-oncology, it was kind of in a stalemate of, of sorts because there was really nothing much that we could do about it by the time that we identified the effects. Thankfully, we're not in that situation anymore because we have effective early screening, effective early treatment, and from the cardiovascular realm, kind of where my primary training is, we have effective 
heart-related treatments to ideally minimize the likelihood of their own cardiovascular disease down the road, similar to what we would do otherwise if they didn't have cancer or they didn't receive cancer treatments. So when you're talking to your patients, and I'm assuming stressing the importance of this, you know, your field and what you can do, what you can perhaps foresee, what do you tell your patients? Well, especially in survivorship, um, after, after, let's say, the battle has been won, so to speak, and, and cancer is in remission, I like to remind the patients how, how much they've already gone through with just hearing the news that they were diagnosed with cancer. I mean, that's a, that's a life-changing event, not, for, not just for the patient, but also their family. They received not uncommonly what can boil down to physically grueling treatments for an extended period of time, sometimes on the magnitude of years. And then if they finally come to the other end of the tunnel and, and cancer is not a problem anymore because it's been effectively treatment, I like to remind them that the war isn't over. You're at an increased risk of developing heart disease. Now, even though that hasn't been a problem for you yet, we want to make sure that continues to not be a problem for you down the road. In the heat of the moment, as cancer is being treated, I, I also like to remind the patients that I'm in their corner so I can help protect their heart while they could focus their mental, physical, spiritual energy on their battle with treating their cancer. So at, at the very least, they have someone in their corner who's keeping an eye on things and doing everything possible using every tool in our toolkit to allow them to continue to receive the cancer treatments that they need to treat their cancer. So those tools that uh, individuals could employ on their own. We were hearing from Dr. Freeman earlier, uh, changing to a, a more healthy, whole food, plant-based diet. Not completely plant-based, but definitely not completely meat-based is what he was pointing out. Um, it, it Turning to uh, meditation, perhaps, uh, getting more sustained, regular exercise of over 30 minutes, and that doesn't unfortunately count dog walking. I was very sad to hear that because I was counting my dog walking as one of that, as well as um, meditation and also decreasing levels of stress, paying attention to stress. All of those are things that you advise to your patients as well? Absolutely. And, you know, and everyone's a little bit different. Everyone can achieve those goals in different ways. Um, But when people are actively going through cancer treatment, it's absolutely easier said than done to continue to think about what's perceived as all of the little things, but little teeny tiny changes in a number of ways, just like you've outlined, all of those, the, the sum is, is greater um, than the ind- individual parts. I would absolutely say that's true. And and developing the social connections. That was one thing that Dr. Freeman brought up that uh, I thought was really interesting because uh, we know how important it is to have that support network around someone who is going through cancer, uh, who also is watching out for heart health. I mean, but to hear that that actually has uh, better outcomes, uh, it, it means that, you know, there is some aspect to finding those uh, friends out there, those supporters, those loved ones who can, uh, you know, nurture us that actually may have some impact on our heart health and our overall health. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I mean, you can extrapolate that outside of the cancer patient population to just the general population at large. Um, if you if you look more intimately as what's referred to these 
these blue zones. Now it's becoming a, a hotbed term, especially over the, the last 10, 20 years with more data approaching, but there are, there are hotbeds of, of communities throughout the world where there is a disproportionate number of people living in those communities that live by greater than 100 years. And one of the common denominators in that is a really advanced, close-knit social networking system, friends, family, volunteerism, community engagement. And so um, I absolutely echo that with the general population and as, as well as our cancer patients. Well, Dr. Chris Fine, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. We're almost out of time here. Is there anything else you would like to impart to our audience uh, as they gear up and are observing American Heart Month? Yeah, I would like to say, you know, um, be well to yourself. Every little small change that you make will ultimately build on itself to improve your overall health, not just your heart health. Um, and that everyone's a little bit different, and then the small victories can build to, to big victories as well. Well, encouraging words, and thank you so much for joining us and sharing those with our audience. Dr. Chris Fine um, with National Jewish Health, thank you for joining us on The Extra. Thanks, Shannon. You've been listening to The Extra here on KRDO News Radio. I'm your host, Shannon Bernius. Tom Martino is up after the break. Make it a great day today.